0: <laughs> Picking the highs and lows is, uh, is an impossible game. So like, I, I think uh, the best advice for people is like, know what you own and why you own it.
1: Hello there. How are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And before we get into today's interview, I do have a message from my show sponsors. And this show is brought to you by Gemini, who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin I'm only buying right. We're hodlers. We're not sellers. I am also using the Gemini app for buying the dips. And I have set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. Both the app and the website make buying and selling Bitcoin super easy. And Gemini has invested in building industry leading security since day one. And Gemini are now running a special offer for listeners of what Bitcoin did. So all you need to do is head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD and new customers will get $20 in Bitcoin. When They trade over $100 or more on Gemini. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com forward slash WBD, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com forward slash WBD. I'm excited to announce my new sponsor, Cake Wallet, who I've recently started using as my mobile wallet for Bitcoin. Cake Wallet is a non-custodial wallet, which means it protects both your security and privacy because it doesn't share your important information with unnecessary third parties. And with Cake Wallet, not only can you hodl Bitcoin, but you can easily pay privately with Monero. It has advanced features for Bitcoin, including coin control and automatic address switching. And the app is designed to make it super easy to set up your wallet and back up your private keys. Now, if you want to find out more and check out Cake Wallet, please head over to cakewallet.com or search for Cake Wallet in the Apple or Google app stores. Next up, it is BCB Group. BCB Group provides online business banking for companies in the Bitcoin industry. And yes, I am now a customer of BCB too. They heard about the difficulty I was having finding a bank and they also understand Bitcoin and they reached out to me. So I've moved my business banking across to BCB and I could not be happier. BCB's clients include major exchanges, market makers, funds and miners active in the UK and Europe, but they are now expanding globally. They also have this amazing network called Blink, which facilitates instant free payments between BCB clients for all supported currencies. Now listen, I know some of you have had trouble with this too. And if you are looking for a banking provider who understands and supports Bitcoin companies rather than creating hurdles, then like me, you will want to become a BCB customer. If you want to find out more, please head over to bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter, which is bcbgroup.com forward slash Peter. Also, we have Compass Mining, but they are not just a sponsor. I am also a customer of Compass, and I am back mining Bitcoin. And you know what? I've been mining for nine months with Compass now, and I've already mined 0.66 Bitcoin, which has paid off two of my S19s already. Now, any of you can start mining with Compass Mining, and to help you, Compass has launched their Compass score to help you make informed decisions about your next mining purchase. The score highlights how good each ASIC deal is, based on a number of factors like price, miner age, difficulty, hashing power, and the current Bitcoin price. Compass makes Bitcoin mining accessible to everyone, and as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. Now, if you are interested in mining, or you want to find out more, please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G.io. Dan, good to see you, man.
0: Yeah, good to see you.
1: How are you?
0: I'm doing well. How about you?
1: I'm good. You wrote a brilliant thread the other day, which was a good reminder for someone like myself about all the trials and tribulations that Bitcoin's been through. And uh, I was like, we should make this into a show because uh, with every cycle, we have a whole bunch of new people. And uh, my my experience in 2018 uh, was one of panic, what the hell's happening? I had lots of money. I'm now going to be broke. How how bad is this going to get? Uh, and then in this cycle, I'm like, meh. Yeah, I've done it.
0: Yeah, takes a few.
1: Takes a few. <laughs> yeah. So I thought it'd be great to get you on to talk about this. Talk about some of the the stories. You're obviously you've been around in Bitcoin for a long time. You're you're a bit of a historian in some ways of Bitcoin. And uh, I think some of the people here would uh, benefit from talking through some of this. But uh, I don't normally do this. But just just for context, do you want to, do you want to just give people a bit of your background?
0: I. Discovered Bitcoin by uh, the dollar parity slash dot post, if I remember correctly, in like February 2011. Um, so that was when it crossed a dollar. And, you know, so I had a background in, you know, computer science, startups, um, you know, econ to, to some extent. So it was interesting. Uh, but, you know, like many, I dismissed it out of hand, uh, you know, in that, in that first discovery uh, and then a couple months later I saw it was like you know crossing six dollars like you know <laughs> hit 10 pretty quickly. Um, so I dived into it more and realized it was like completely different than any of these other like you know internet currencies that had been tried uh, you know specifically in the dot-com era uh, which always seemed kind of silly. Um, so yeah so then you know it went on a quick run to 32 uh, and then uh, six months uh, six six months of of just brutal down uh, to under two dollars after that um, you know so I was still you know learning about it uh, you know technical level like you know economic political like you know it, it interested me in 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 many ways um, but yeah that uh, that bear market was uh, was brutal negative 94 percent from peak to trough yeah so uh, anyway so that, that was kind of my introduction to Bitcoin I guess um, in uh, I didn't work in the industry until uh, 2014 uh, with something called the Digital Currency Council, which was you know trying to educate people on uh, you know on on, on Bitcoin and you know, the opportunity set there, uh, mostly you know and building like a professional network for for Bitcoin people and uh, you know and, and well in the, the digital currency space at the time, which was almost entirely Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, that that. Uh, ended up being too early, uh, you know. The, then we you know, had another long bear market after that, <laughs> which was difficult. Then uh, 2017 rolled around. Um, I built a product called OnChain FX, uh, just kind of as a side project, um, which was really trying to get at more fundamental metrics for for Bitcoin and, and crypto overall. Because you know, there's just like you know, that market was just a ton of ICOs that were uh, kind of like what is happening now with a lot of uh, you know DeFi projects and so forth. And you know l ones where uh, <laughs> the, the supply is just being dumped on you by uh, by VCS who hold you know a very large percent of it so anyway we were uh, with don we trying to get uh, some quantitative data around you know the supplies of these things that that was out there um, and uh, we ended up I ended up uh, connecting with uh, Ryan Selkis and forming Masari out of that
1: It's good background man a lot of history been through uh a lot of the cycles, you've seen it go up, down, you've seen all the crazy shit. So I, I think it's going to be really useful to talk people through some of this. And But even before we get into this, because not everyone has, has agreed we're in a bear market. All the previous bear markets are kind of obvious. Like, yeah. there is a just continual drop. But we've had this weird thing where we we hit a high, and then we came down, then we hit a slightly higher high. Yeah, that and then was came weird. Down. <laughs> and it's, it's a very weird scenario. It's It's... it's I think people always look at previous cycles and they expect something to happen. They're like, oh, this is like uh, 2013, this isn't like 2017, like they try and find patterns and perhaps that's the mistake, but I think we're in a bear market, but not everyone does. uh, Plenty of people think, you know, we've gone sideways, this cycle isn't finished.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, at some point it just depends on like how you define a cycle. Um, you know, we're what, like 60% down from from the highs, like, you know, I'd call that a bear market. Of course, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the the double top thing was weird. Uh, and the fact that we were only went up, you know, triple the prior high. So or a little more than triple, I guess, um, was, you know, less of a, you know, bull market or a parabolic run than, uh, than prior's. Uh, but, you know, part of that is probably the, uh, you know, the well, first of all, the fact that it's just a much bigger, Asset class, yeah. uh, but the involvement of institutions, like, you know, they're going to attenuate the runs up, and uh, we will see, but hopefully they will attenuate the uh, the downside also. Uh, that's the theory, anyway, <laughs> yet to be seen.
1: Yeah. And I also, just in my head, there's like a psychological side to this that the, the numbers seem bigger. Yeah. You know, the percentages sure. maybe are not as high, you know, with a 3x on the previous high when you come on three and a bit, three and a half x. But to get a 10x on the previous high, you know, 200000 I think you get to, like, Bitcoin gets to $50,000, and if you're somebody who holds maybe 20 Bitcoin from a previous cycle, it's only got a million dollars. It's, like, very tempting to sell a bit. Yeah, totally. You could sell five, and you can buy a house. And then when you've got somebody like uh, Ruffles, I think it was, the the gold buyers who bought a bunch, they were suddenly much higher, and they sold off a bunch. So, uh, ultimately, I hope it leads to, like, a wider distribution over time, but... Uh, I, I never saw this two hundred, three hundred k come in this cycle. Maybe, maybe others did. I mean, I hoped because Willy Woo would tell me it would. But right, <laughs> I bet against it.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, it's fine if it needs to take another cycle or two. I mean, you know, we're here for the long haul, right?
1: <laughs> we're, we're, we're patient. We're patient. All right, man. So listen, there there are people who've got into Bitcoin. Uh, Recently, there will be some people who've bought certainly at the higher than this price. Uh, anything up to sixty nine thousand. Uh, some may be nervous or panicking. Uh, my one of my biggest lessons is the hardest thing to do is tell a top or a bottom.
0: Uh, yeah, I I'm thought sure. that
1: I thought yeah. the top would be higher than sixty nine. I thought we'd get over a hundred thousand, but uh, and I don't know where the bottom will be. I mean, right, we're at. Uh, you know, bouncing around near 30,000, I don't know if we hit back down to 20, I just, I don't know any of this finding tops and bottoms is super hard, but I think it would be good to talk through some of the, like crazy things that have happened to Bitcoin. Some of the stories that some people may have heard of, may not know, may not know what the impact was. And that's what your thread did really, it was a, yeah. yeah we've been here before.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the thread was, was kind of a response to the whole thing with you know, Terra Luna. Uh, where, you know, they sold, I, I forget, you know, 80,000 Bitcoins. They yeah. just kind of market dumped in like a day. <laughs> so <laughs> that had a, had a big impact and, and people were people were freaking out. Um, and, you know, uh, obviously that's, you know, in altcoin land, but affected Bitcoin because, you know, the, uh, Terra had that much Bitcoin on their balance sheet that they used to shore up the asset. So, yeah, and, and you know, people, it's just like, people were uh, kind of so emotional about that. And I'm just like, Wait a minute. This is like, yeah, it's a top ten asset, but uh, and yes, it was forty billion, which is a large number, but that's a small fraction of the entire ecosystem. It's a small, even you know, it's a t- tiny fraction of even just Bitcoin. And uh, you know, we've had events many <laughs> in Bitcoin's past uh, that were much more all-encompassing than that. Uh, so for people to be like, you know, emotional and 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 uh, even you know questioning Bitcoin about something something like that was just crazy to me. So I put that thread together of uh, uh, worse things that had happened.
1: <laughs> well, actually, let's talk a little bit about Luna. I, yeah, the threat to Bitcoin, I, I I had some friends get in touch and say, oh, I, I, I hear the whole market's crashed. There was a big scam with Bitcoin. A big scam with Bitcoin. That's what yeah, one of the things I heard. Uh, <laughs> I was like, no. It's very annoying. But the, actually, the ability for Bitcoin to essentially, essentially soak up the sell pressure of 80,000 Bitcoin.
0: I know, and not just, not just, well. not just sell pressure, but panicked sell pressure. I mean, yeah. you know, they, they had to offload that. And I, I, don't know if it was a day, but you know, definitely a couple days. I mean, that's, uh, you know, the, the <laughs> that's selling under extreme duress. Um, and yeah, I, I, I thought that was like, if, if anything, like pretty, pretty positive that, uh, that the market just absorbed all that.
1: Again, uh, and there's probably some additional sell pressure that was triggered by that, that, yeah so.
0: and you're gonna hit trader stops and that yeah. kind of stuff and you know, you know this yeah whatever whatever the market structure there is I'm, you know i'm not a trader uh but yeah the, you know the fact that 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 uh i mean what did that you know bitcoin was off you know 10 15 something like that uh probably due to those sales or at least you know that that week uh, which is not that bad <laughs> no. <laughs> considering uh the size of that sale and and how quickly it was done.
1: Well, let's tell people a little bit about Mount Gox. I, I covered it as a series. with Danny, will get him to stick it in the show notes. Uh, I covered that back in two thousand and was it in seventeen? I think 17. eighteen. Two thousand eighteen. I made a bunch of shows about it so people can understand it, and maybe we people should go back and listen. But t- tell a little, little bit about the story, of Mount. Hold on, did you have coins on Mount Gox? Uh,
0: <laughs> so I think I I left one Satoshi on Mount Gox, Ooh,
1: but you had used it. Yes. So did you get lucky?
0: No, I, this this is also kind of annoying. It's like the writing was on the wall for Gox for months. Okay. Uh, so, and, you know, taking your coins off exchanges was a thing back in, back in 2013, 14. Like people, you know, we have been saying that since the beginning, that, you know, take control of your keys. Uh, I don't remember if not your keys, not your coins was... Uh, was such a such a meme at the time, but it was definitely a well understood best practice. Sorry, what are you? Say well, that? I was gonna say, let's go back to
1: 2011 and the Gox hack.
0: Okay, so back to the, the beginning then. So, I mean, there have been a couple Gox hacks, and it's I'm not sure if it's fully known whether they're related or not, but but yeah, that 2011 one. Um, so I think Gox had only been like officially open as a Bitcoin exchange for about a year. Um, and yeah, so, you know, kind of momentum was rising, like Bitcoin was hitting all-time highs in, in the teens, the 20s, and, uh, and then that, you know, that high at 32. Um, and then right around then, uh, somebody hacked Gox, got into, um, got into the system, and basically got control of, I don't know if it was all coins, but enough uh, <laughs> that they just market-dumped, you know, I don't know how many tens of thousands of Bitcoin and dropped the price to literally a penny. So like there were real time, um, you know, sites that hooked into Gox's API where you could watch this happen in real time. So it was, it was uh, pretty, you know, yeah, it, was something, it was something watching watching that happen in real time. And like Gox was, you know, that was where, um, you know, probably 80 plus percent of, of trading volume happened uh, back then. Uh, so this was, you know, the entire market. Um, now the hacker, I believe they they ended up uh, only being able to get a couple a couple thousand coins off exchange before you know people in Mt. Uh, you know got their systems in order. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that was, uh, that was a pretty dramatic event for you know uh, for a very young industry.
1: <laughs> I, th- I think the pattern we're going to see as we run through this is the re- the growing resilience of the network and the price and.
0: Yeah, so actually, coming out of Gox, uh, that event, um, you know, they given that you know it was only a couple thousand coins that were actually stolen, they reversed the trades. Um, so you know, those prices at a penny didn't stick. So you know, pe- people didn't didn't get dramatically cheap Bitcoin then. <laughs> but um, uh, shortly, you know, shortly thereafter, in the following weeks, you know, Bitcoin was trading back back in the teens, back to you know fourteen, seventeen. I remember. I remember seeing it pretty stable there and being like, oh wow, there's like a real community behind this. Like, you know, not only is the technology, you know, fascinating, the, the implications fascinating, but there are enough uh, people who are into this that it's really stabilized, you know, after, after an event like this. And that, that was, uh, for me at least, like that was a very like confidence building thing to like to see it come back after that. And, and like, I think like kind of everybody goes through that, like they see um, some kind of dramatic event Happen in 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 the Bitcoin ecosystem, and then uh, and then it recovers, and and then they have conviction after that, right? It's like they've seen it come back from something nasty, and it still survives and like ends up thriving, and uh, and yeah, that, that gives people a lot of confidence.
1: And, and community-wise, and narrative-wise, what what was it like back then? Did it just feel like it was just a tiny little project that a few people around the world were, were in, or or was there still the vision of what we're seeing today did people believe this could be yeah. something that could become a global reserve currency
0: it, it was actually both it was very weird um because it was um you know a lot of people who who really did see what the potential could be and you know we talked about it in you know bitcoin talk forums and everything and it, 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 but it was like but it also seemed like a pipe dream right because it was like so like nobody cared that, about bitcoin like there weren't vcs talking about it you know there was there weren't politicians talking about it like they you know, there was, um, it was, it was basically, you know, I don't know, something like 30,000 Anons on Bitcoin Talk who were talking about it. Um, now, we all like saw the, you know, the, the power of, of what it could be, but there's still that just like huge disconnect between like, get, you know, getting from here to there. And uh, it, it's happened a lot faster than I assumed, like, I, you know, to be where we are now. Um, I, you know, I thought it would take a generation, but you know, oh, wow. it took 10 years, which is uh, amazing to me.
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting. Well, I'm going to come back to that uh, towards the end. Okay, so this is an interesting one you talked about when uh, pirates at 40 blew up. I don't even know <laughs> what that is. Me and Danny were like, what is that? I, was like, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Uh, so that was probably, if not the first, then the first substantial Ponzi scheme on top of Bitcoin. Um, so that was, uh, was a guy who was running something called Bitcoin Savings and Trust. So so there, that was in 2012. So there were, these, there were a bunch of Bitcoin uh, businesses that um, you know, popped up in 2011, 2012. Um, it was actually a fascinating time. Like, a, you know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the things that e- exist now as like, you know, full-fledged, like, you know, venture-backed businesses, like, you know, existed back then in different form. Like, people pop, you know, spun them up very quickly. So, anyway, in that environment, this thing called Bitcoin Savings and Trust comes up, and uh, this guy, uh, <laughs> by the screen name Pirate at Forty, no one knew his real name then, um, promised seven percent a week and uh you know took people's bitcoin and then you know paid them out 7% more in bitcoin uh, you know a week later and so yeah this went on for some amount of time you know weeks or months and before you know it got substantial and you know enough to move the market um, and uh yeah you know there were of course you know many rational people being like this is ridiculous there's no way this is real um, it's got to be a ponzi what are you idiots doing putting your money into this um, but you know he, you know had reasons. There was there was this belief that maybe he was buying coins from, uh, or that he was mining, and uh, you know maybe there's uh, demand for you know for virgin mined coins in excess of, of the market price, and so somehow he's able to arb that and uh, you know and get the seven percent that way. Like that was one theory, but. Um, yeah, so you know people want to believe this stuff right they yeah. see these numbers they want to believe it's real and they you know they're reading posts from people who are saying like you know they've been doing it for for months and you know getting the payouts and everything and you know obviously it's going to blow up at some point and it did and uh i believe in september 2012 maybe august if i'm not mistaken and uh yeah it tanked price like 50 percent in a couple weeks uh because <laughs> <laughs> I, I forget exactly what the market mechanics there were, but yeah, I mean, it was enough to to drive the ecosystem at the time.
1: And and was was he a scammer who disappeared with a pile of coins? Uh,
0: no. So he um, so he went he went bust somehow. Uh, he he eventually got um, got arrested, and there was a trial, and he got convicted and did some time. His name is Trendon Shavers, if if I recall correctly. And he 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 did a podcast on. Uh, Bitcoin uncensored, I think, with uh, oh, really? DeRose and Johnson, like in 2016, I think, which was really interesting. Like one thing that he and you know, who knows whether this guy is believable or not. But like one of the things he said on the podcast was that like the thing that blew up his his scheme, which he claims was net was not supposed to be a Ponzi to begin with. But who knows? Uh, one of the things that blew it up supposedly was when uh, Carpelli's failed to deliver. Uh, so Mark Carpellis, the founder of Mt. Mm-hmm. Cox, failed to deliver. You know, uh, some yeah, i think it was you know a couple hundred thousand bitcoin to him uh, that he had deposited on gox supposedly something like that uh
1: gox lost 800,000ish bitcoin so he's claiming a quarter of them were his
0: i i don't know if he claim i don't know what the claims uh yeah. are but there was yes there was <laughs> i re- i remember like listening to that interview and being like oh wow so so this guy is potentially actually the first victim of mount gox if uh if what he's saying is true and then, like later on, um, it, it's conceivable in one way because, like later on, uh, I think it was BitMEX research put out, um, you know, some an in depth piece on like what really happened at Gox and like what the source of the of the loss of funds was. And it did date back to a hack that occurred in, I believe, fall of twenty eleven. Uh, so it is possible that Gox was at, was insolvent that early.
1: Yeah, and, uh, well, yeah. I I interviewed Jed, um, and got. Part of the way in, and and as I remember it, Danny, correct me if I'm wrong, but as I remember it, when Jed sold it to Mark Carpalis, uh, yeah, yeah, the eighty thousand yeah. were missing, and they had a and they knew about that. They knew about yeah. that, yeah. Um, and they had a plan to recover it. But I can't remember how, so I, I could know. see something probably like just that.
0: probably just fees and buying the Bitcoin yeah, from perhaps. trading fees.
1: I always felt like Carpalis, uh, not Carpalis, Jed offloaded a problem yeah maybe i mean
0: there was a uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: So, so let's let's um let's actually talk about the real mount cop tag because that to a lot of people around that time that was devastating and it still is for some people but uh that felt like one of those incidents that could have been the end of bitcoin it felt like it
0: so it did to a lot of people and it did, it did um to people who had gotten into bitcoin i think after like the 2011 uh, bear market so people who like kind of came in in 2013 with that bull market cycle like Bitcoin did uh 100x in 2013 right so like that <laughs> that's a monster bull market um so that yeah so drew in a ton of people and that was the first bull market where we you know kind of got greater visibility yeah you, you, you know a ton of like more prominent people you know talking about Bitcoin all the time um, anyway so so yeah uh uh Mount got, and then yeah, Malkox uh, went under in uh, February 2014. It's when they declared bankruptcy um, as a result of a hack that had probably occurred several years prior. So they'd kind of been running fractional for you know for who knows how long, and you know I don't know how long you know management there even knew they were running fractional, uh, but they were. Uh, but the writing was on the wall uh, for a while. Um, uh, you know, there were diff- <laughs> there was like dramatically different pricing on Mt. Gox versus other exchanges and the, that price gap kept getting wider. Uh, and you could get your coins off Gox uh, for a while while that price gap was significant. So like that, you know, that was the big red flag. And then, yeah, when uh, when Mt. Gox went under, um, I mean, it was just like a deluge in the media of uh, people associating Mt. Gox with uh, Bitcoin, the protocol itself. Uh, and the ecosystem as a whole. And, you know, Gox was 80% of volume at the time still. Um, so, you know, it was a, the key player in, in in the in the industry and in the market. Um, didn't help that uh, <laughs> there's this thing called uh, transaction malleability, which is, uh, some might call it a bug in, in you know, Bitcoin's kind of early pre-Segwit design where basically uh, transactions could be fudged in a way um, you know, it's not like a double spend or anything like that. But anyway, it, it, it's a relatively minor detail, but, uh, you know, Gox lost a few hundred Bitcoin as a result of uh, kind of people spoofing them in that way. And and Carpelli's like initially came out when Gox went bankrupt and tried to blame the entire thing on that, which was, which was a Bitcoin protocol issue. And then the media ran with that. And like, so there's this like association between like, oh my gosh, Bitcoin has this like core flaw and it cost you know cost this like huge 850,000 bitcoin implosion um which is not the case at all and like uh, you know Gox was you know an important business but just one business built on top of bitcoin and uh yeah i mean i think i, I think like on the day they they went bankrupt i think i tweeted exactly that that uh you know Gox Gox was Gox was one node and, you know people who think it was uh was anything more, or, or suffering from centralized thinking? This, but this is fundamentally a decentralized ecosystem, and uh, and yeah, we'll, uh, we'll we'll continue to grow it <laughs> from there. But but yeah, it uh, did precipitate a nasty bear market, and uh, yeah, a lot a lot of people left.
1: <laughs> well, I, I was very new to Bitcoin in two thousand and thirteen, but I wasn't a Bitcoiner. Uh, I was a uh, an acquirer of Bitcoin on local Bitcoins because I was a Silk Road user. Mm. So um, I wanted to buy something, maybe a Bible, and uh, and so I'd gone to LocalBitcoins, uh, which was always, always a really interesting experience because there was still a, a weird amount of trust because you would go on and you would select your buy, um, and the person would ask for a photo of you holding like a piece of paper, and uh, you'd get their bank details. But you'd have to pick somebody with a bunch of transactions before.
0: Oh, this is when. Okay, so you're still doing. You're not doing this face to face.
1: No, this was. Uh, what do you call it when you put something into um, escrow? An escrow. It was like yeah, into okay. an escrow, and there was like a, a bit of trust involved. Yeah, and sure. uh, and I, I remember, I remember uh, my ex thinking, "What the hell are you doing?" I was like, "Well, I have to prove who I am." Yeah, they want a photo of me holding a piece of paper. I can't remember what I had to have on the piece of paper. Maybe it was like... Probably the date. Yeah, or no, like I think that. it might have been something to do with like the bank account it was coming oh, from. Okay. And then you would send them the money, but you know, you were talking like, I mean, the first time I did it was, I remember it was 80 pounds for a Bitcoin. So that might have been 2012-ish, I can't really remember, but... That would
0: be thirteen, two thousand
1: thirteen. 2013. 2013. Yeah. Right at the start it would have been. Yeah, in, in the Gen- spring. Yeah. yeah. And so I would be doing that. And then I'd get my Bitcoin, and then I would transfer it to Silk Road, make my purchase, and done. And that's all I did. I did some um, CDF trading of Bitcoin just because it was so crazy, and I would make and lose lots of money. But I, I didn't study Bitcoin. Yeah. I didn't read about Bitcoin. I think I didn't know about libertarians or Austrian <laughs> economics. I didn't. I just didn't. I didn't care. And then the the price crashed from twelve hundred. Down to whatever, and I was like, "I'm done," and I forgot about it. Yeah, I was just done, and so like, I, I heard about Mankogs, but I wasn't a Bitcoiner, so it was just like, "Oh, just that's just some thing." Yeah. forgot all, of, didn't pay any attention to it. But if you're an actual Bitcoiner, you've been around for years. What What was that day like when you heard about it?
0: Well, again, like again, the the, the writing was on the wall, so I, I wouldn't say I was terribly surprised. It was just like,
1: okay. were there rumors?
0: Yeah. Um, and again, you know, it's kind of like Luna, right? Like it, it happened in dramatic fashion, you know, kind of, you know, not surprised that it happened. <laughs> just yeah. Just surprising that it happened. So like in such a binary way, right? Like they didn't uh, you know, Matt Gox didn't just like you know slowly bleed out and uh, you know lose some money and blah blah blah. Like they they lost most of the money <laughs> like like overnight. <laughs> it felt like.
1: I think I think it was about one hundred fifty thousand Bitcoin they eventually recovered. I think
0: two hundred thousand. Two hundred thousand. Like a, then a bunch of that went to lawyer fees and stuff. Yeah. So so I, I mean I think people are getting back um, about fifteen uh, percent of what they had <sighs> in Gox, and I, th- I think they're getting it back like potentially this year maybe yeah. or next year but, uh, but but which is interesting right because okay so if you had you know bitcoin in Mt. gox in uh, you know like late 2013 early 2014 um are you and you're getting 15% of it back now 9 years later like are you are you better off having been a forced holder uh, with basically a lockup with an 85% fee <laughs> like are you better off than if you had control of those keys that's
1: a really good point and i think for some certainly uh for others maybe but i mean i think, some I think
0: it, probably for most yeah
1: because <laughs> some most would have tra- i mean you see that every cycle that tweet comes out with that guy like, um, i can't believe i sold my 1800 bitcoin for seven dollars it's now at 30 or whatever that tweet right, yeah, exactly. is and it's like fucking hell man a lot of people everyone's got their bitcoin story like i heard about it and i didn't like you heard about it when it was a dollar, and you didn't buy ten thousand dollars worth. Right, of exactly. Yeah, everyone's yeah. got that story or the mistakes or the trading mistakes. I think a lot would have traded down. I think a lot would have sold during various cycles. Uh, I mean, if you had a thousand Bitcoin, you're getting one hundred and fifty Bitcoin. That's a yeah, that's a nice so stack. It's like now. a
0: that's a yeah. I and mean, there, there probably are a lot of a good number of people who are getting life changing money. I would think.
1: Yeah, but I also think there's some people who can't rationalize it that way, and they're going to be go oh, if I. I definitely would have still had this. Right,
0: yeah. But yeah, 95% of people are gonna sell a five or 10X and like be very happy about that.
1: What about the ones who sold their, because a lot of people sold their claims.
0: Oh, right. There
1: um, was that fund, there was that funder who were willing to buy it at a
0: Yeah, that was three or discount. four years ago, right? That was before COVID, so like before this last cycle. Yeah, yeah. so interesting, right.
1: I mean, it's, it's, that might turn out to be a great buy for them. Yeah, totally yeah um what was the recovery from gox like
0: um well 2015 was was uh was just like total bear market i think you know you know we went from 1200 ish as as you said in late 2013 to to the low was then january 2015 at like 155 or something and we traded in the 200s like almost the whole year Um, but you know it was a year when people were people were building um you know a lot of the uh you know Companies and products in the space are, are from that era, um, but yeah, so uh, didn't really come out of it until late 2015, um, and then uh, yeah, it took all of 2016 <laughs> to kind of get back to to those highs that we, we were at in uh, 2013.
1: And do you feel like with each of these cycles, the like Bitcoin has had a, like an accelerated maturity during those bear markets of products being built the kind of investors come and have been interested?
0: Yeah, it always, it, I mean, I think it's, it's felt each time, like the people who come into the space, like it, it kind of gets more like sophisticated, you know, good and bad, I guess, um, because, you know, it gets like institutionalized more and more. um, But also, you know, you get just like, you know, a ton of uh, just, you know, deep thinkers about, you know, uh, like Bitcoin in greater context, like greater economic and political context. Like, like that, you know, that stuff was always there early on, but like, I don't know, it gets, um, it gets more, uh, you know, more kind of, you know, professionalized. Um, so there's been a lot of great Bitcoin content that, uh, you know, has, has come out of uh, uh, you know, out of those periods, um, which, yeah, you know, I, I put together a lot of that on um, as part of the impetus for CaseBitcoin.com. Was, yeah. Was putting, you know, getting a lot of that content in one place.
1: Yeah, we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. It's a great website. Um, okay, let's talk about the ETH DAO hack. And one specific question I have for that, and I'll, I'll explain why afterwards. But did the ETH DAO hack have any impact on Bitcoin?
0: Um, let's see. If I, if I remember correctly, that was what May 2016. Yeah. Um, I don't remember a lot of impact on Bitcoin like that was a that was a recovery period for for Bitcoin, like, you know, late 2015, we kind of came out of the bear market with like one big candle, uh, much like April 2019 came out of that bear market and like similar, you know, 25% in a day kind of thing. But then, yeah, so then after that, the first like half of 2016 was kind of trading in the, you know, four, four to 500 range, if I, if I remember right. And I I don't recall the Dow hack having a lot of impact on, on Bitcoin specifically then.
1: The, the reason I ask is because dramatic things in Bitcoin affect the rest of the crypto market. Yeah. You know, if Bitcoin suddenly had a 20% down day, you know every other shitcoin is going to have a 25% down day or whatever. Oh, yeah. But we were talking earlier about the uh, ETH mergers coming, Yeah. and if that is some kind of Disaster could that have a contagion effect into Bitcoin, and I, I don't know.
0: It's probably more possible now than it was years ago, just because other assets are, are bigger relative to Bitcoin now. Like, you know, Bitcoin dominance has been going up lately, uh, but you know, it's still like what is it, fifty percent or something now? I, yeah. I don't know exactly, but but you know, it was still like you know ninety something percent uh, back. You know, as as flawed as that metric is, like you it's, know, it's a ma- it,
1: it's a massively flawed metric.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, I I I hear you, but it but it but it you know to your point of whether things it I think it is relevant in terms of like if you're asking the question, can things from you know another large asset spill over uh in, into into Bitcoin land? Like there's there's some possibility of that. But like I don't know. I, I mean I think if uh you know if ETH catastrophically blew up, like yeah, you 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 might get you know an event to, it might affect you know Bitcoin. You know, similarly to how Luna did, um, where you know people who don't know all that much about the space just kind of want to be risk off about the whole thing. yeah, you know for a certain period of time, but it won't take that long for it to become clear that these are very different things. Uh, and then yeah, you know smarter people will come in and understand the difference.
1: Now before we carry on with the interview, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. From the people behind SportsBet.io, we have BitCasino. Established in 2013, BitCasino was the first licensed Bitcoin casino and is trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide. Not only do they have cutting-edge security, but fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. Casino has 2,800 games and tournaments to compete against each other and 24-7 a live chat support. To find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, Head over to bitcasino.io, which is B I T C A S I N O.io, and please gamble responsibly. Next up, it is BlockFi. Now, BlockFi bridges the world of traditional finance and Bitcoin, empowering you for the future financial world. And for people in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more SATs, the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides you the easiest way to earn more Bitcoin. There are no fees to use the card no annual fee, and no foreign transaction fees. And you can earn 1.5% back in Bitcoin on all purchases forever. And you know what? You can also earn 2% back in Bitcoin on every dollar over $50,000 of annual spend. If you would like to stack stats with BlockFi, then please head over to BlockFi.com to find out more and read the terms and conditions. All available at BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Next up, it is Casa. Whether you've just bought your first sat or you're a Bitcoin pro, you need to protect your investment. And the only person who should be in charge of your Bitcoin and financial freedom is you. And securing your Bitcoin doesn't have to be difficult because Casa makes it so easy for you. Getting started is super simple. You just download the app, create an account and enjoy a 30-day free trial. And if you need some assistance, it's just a click or phone call away. CASA has the best-in-class customer support and free online resources to support you. Take your financial freedom into your own hands by self-custodying your Bitcoin so it can never be frozen without your consent. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Also, we have Ledger. And the world's most popular hardware wallet just got better. Ledger have recently announced the launch of the new Nano S+. With a larger screen, it makes it much easier to manage and verify your Bitcoin transactions. And the Nano S+, maintains the same high level of security as all other Ledger products. Now, I have been a Ledger user since 2017, and I absolutely love the S+. Ledger is the smartest and easiest way for you to take control of your Bitcoin. Now, if you'd like to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, please head over to ledger.com which is ledger.com So a, g- a good question for you regarding ETH, because, uh, again, I wasn't really around in 2016. I didn't get back into, I think it was like maybe December 16, January 17. Uh, it's a very small crypto scene, highly dominated by Bitcoin. What was the view towards altcoins around that time, pre-Eth and when ETH came along. Because right now, it's obviously reputationally for Bitcoiners. <laughs> some of them just fucking hate everything. Uh, some of them call everything a shit coin, and they won't have anything to do with anything. Right. But when the first altcoins came around, was there like some excitement about it? Or was there instant?
0: I mean, a, a lot of people instantly wrote a lot of it off. Cause, because the first altcoins were were like you know clones of Bitcoin. Well, okay, So like the very first ones in 2011 were like, kind of interesting technical experiments right and, and like you know it wasn't it wasn't an environment where like they're clearly trying to like you know steal bitcoin's network effect or like you know grab some monetary value because like <laughs> like that time period was like a nasty bear market and you know kind of you know the the price stuff wasn't as big a deal um, but then the 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 big alt wave that um, that created maximalism really I would argue was uh, 2013 when you had just a ton of clone coins like Litecoin was a created in 2011, but started getting a lot more popular in 2013. And it's just, you know, a handful of parameter changes to Bitcoin, right? Like it doesn't fundamentally do anything different than Bitcoin. It do, You know, it doesn't add anything uh, that Bitcoin doesn't do and will never do. Like, so, so there's like no, there's no way to, uh, in my opinion, like to argue that there's any value creation there. Um, and there were a ton of coins like that. You know, there's Feather coin and Quark and like a, all sorts of stuff that doesn't exist anymore. Um, and there were at, but you know, there were still altcoiners, right? Like there was still a bunch of, you know, traders who, you know, just wanted to like ride a, you know, ride a wave and get their charts out and do technical analysis and you know, buy these things and you know, talk them up on at the time like Reddit or Bitcoin Talk or you know, Twitter was a thing too then. Um but uh that did that did result in, you know, a lot of a lot of Bitcoiners being like, This is ridiculous and uh and all the altcoins we've, you know, <laughs> we've we've seen are 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 dumb.
1: <laughs> when ETH yeah. first started again, talked about, was that seen as different? What it, ETH,
0: people... ETH was different, yeah. So so it, um, I mean, not everybody thought it was different, but the, but there, I, I think, it was one of the first that uh, uh, proposed to do something fundamentally different than Bitcoin, just to like occupy a different domain, like you know. Um you know bitcoin wasn't going to offer or turn complete smart contracts like bitcoin you know took this you know security first you know simplicity uh first uh, uh viewpoint and was trying to do you know global money uh that's different than what ethereum was trying to do even at the beginning um even though you know they've somewhat changed the mission over the years but um so yeah, so so there's some there's some room there uh for, you know, even ardent bitcoiners I would say, even bitcoiners who, you know, hated all prior alts to be like, okay, well this one is actually different. And there there were a few prior to that. Um Monero was another one that uh you know offered something that you know bitcoin probably never would, you know, uh, uh namely, you know, protocol level privacy.
1: It's uh Monero's a funny one in in all of my time as a started as a bitcoiner just because I needed bitcoin, then started going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and becoming an altcoiner and trading altcoins and shitcoins to becoming a maxi, but I've never, ever, I don't think I've ever called Monero a shitcoin. I've always, I mean, we talked about it earlier, I've yeah. it's always been the one I've, I can have a very solid argument for why I would use it. Someone might want to give me an argument for why it's a shitcoin, because it's not Bitcoin or problems they see with it. Um, but right now. I can think of multiple use cases I could have that right now that I can't do with Bitcoin, and I've always felt that i mean when i when I interviewed uh fluffy Pony for the first time i said there's uh there's Bitcoin Maximus, and there's Bitcoin Maxis that are like yeah Monero's okay
0: <laughs> yeah there there is some of that and and yeah and I think it's because it was the, like the first you know altcoin that came around that you know credibly offered something different than Bitcoin um so i think I think like if you're if you just kind of like understand uh you know understand what the use cases are and uh you know if if this thing is just trying to like ride bitcoin's coattails and you know you know, uh, <laughs> you know people say affinity scam off of it uh then it's one thing uh, but if if it is doing something uh technically different that that has has value then then that's another and i think that's a distinction that that happened uh sometime in that like 2014 to 2016 uh, period and yeah eth launched i believe in 2015
1: yeah and, and eth um despite what people i'm I'm not a fan of eth i've got no use for it uh, well actually it's not i guess it's not true uh, i think there's a solid argument for stable coins and sure. i think some protocols uh offer a much better pathway and use case of stable coins than than bitcoin has right now and right. I, yeah and and i expect uh Higher quality stablecoins to come to Bitcoin or Lightning somehow. Yep. I I can't tell you how because I hope I like,
0: so. I'd love to see stablecoins on Lightning. Yeah,
1: I would. I would love a stablecoin on Lightning would be incredible. I don't know how it can be done, but I'm sure it can be, and I'm sure I know people are working on it. Yeah, that.
0: exactly. I've heard a little bit about that. Yeah,
1: and that would be awesome. Um, and that's the only stablecoin. that I would need to use it. Make a lot yeah. more sense to me. But um, there are people right now who need stablecoins all around the world. There's an absolute fundamental need. And if they have to use ETH or Tron to do it, fine. I have no I have no issue with that. Um, but one thing I will say about ETH, despite me not being a fan, is it started to prove, prove it has its own resiliency outside of Bitcoin. Like yeah. the way Bitcoin has it, it has survived its own, I and mean, we will talk about the DAO hack in a minute, It's survived a constant attack from Bitcoiners with some highly valid criticisms. It's suffered from wave of ICO failures and maybe NFTs as well, we will see, but it has its own resiliency and some of what people might be feeling with ETH right now, it seems what people have felt with Bitcoin, but you can explain what's happened with the Dow hack.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, ETH is kind of a cycle behind Bitcoin, I think, in terms of, you know, just to follow up on what you just said there. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think like, I think ETH and Bitcoin are, are very different things, uh, but they, but they do kind of stand, you know, uh, alone, you know, they're, uh, Relative to most of the other assets in the space which just feel like startup equity whereas uh yeah Bitcoin and eth are 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 different than that set and and very different from each other I think you know that's that's my own mental model there anyway yeah. <laughs> um anyway yeah with the with the Dow hack um, uh, yeah so <laughs> that that was basically eth's um kind of you know fork wars uh, Event, um, very different than than what happened with, with Bitcoin a year later, but um,
1: it was a it was a fork war on launch.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. So um, uh, let's see. So that, there was a DAO that had collected um, some egregious percent of total <laughs> total supply of ETH uh, that then got hacked, um, and you know the hacker you know controlled these these uh, coins. Um, the Ethereum community, I believe, led by the foundation, got got together and uh, decided to basically—I don't think this is technically technically accurate, but you know, uh, for all intents and purposes, roll back the chain to undo the hack, um, which is you know a very aggressive thing to do in a blockchain, right? Like it's all it's supposed to be about immutability law. and non-censorability. Yeah, exactly. Code is law. I'm like, why are why are we all here if we're uh, you know we're reinventing? You know, kind of you know, committee based you know systems. Um, so that you know, so yeah, that was a big kind of existential moment for for ETH. You know, like, which way are they going to go, uh, et cetera, et cetera? Um, and yeah, like Ethereum Classic came out of that. Um, you know, the the version that didn't roll back the hack, uh, and but the community went with uh, went with the version that did, which is you know, the Ethereum we all refer to today. Um, so yeah, I think. Uh, a bunch of people had a lot of opinions about that. <laughs> what did you think? Um, I was I was very much opposed to uh, rolling it back. Like I, I thought it should stick to stick to being immutable and code is law, and like that that you know uh, that smart contracts that uh, did what they say and wouldn't be messed with by uh, you know by you know people's you know, whims or opinions. Uh, I thought that was the interesting thing uh, that ETH brought to the table. Uh, so, so when they rolled it back, it was kind of like, okay, well, yeah, I'm you know, not sure how how much we can rely on that anymore.
1: Is it fair to call it a hack, or is it an exploitation of a weakness yeah, and, in code?
0: Yeah, an exploit's probably a, a better a better description because I mean, I, I mean, all hacks are exploits in in a way. So, um, I don't know the semantics of it, but but
1: well, I think it, of hacking as... Is- Diving into a system, yeah. a locked system, and, and and stealing something out of it.
0: And but but and you are you know hackers are always exploiting you know some software bug, usually unless they're guessing passwords or whatever. But they're you know they are typically exploiting some uh, some code that does something that the developer did not intend, right? And that that's what happened with the with how the smart contract for. The DAO, it was called, on um, ETH was...
1: Well, let me put it a different way. Say if I figured out a way to hack into a bank account and do it and take your money, I don't see that as an exploit. I see that's theft. Was this similar or was this... Well, yeah, people came down on,
0: on both sides of that. Yeah, Yeah.
1: It's a tricky one. Because I'm wondering whether, say, if that person had kept their ETH and they'd been found, had they committed a crime?
0: Right. I, so I would argue it's kind of all about the social contract and expectations yeah. of, of the ecosystem, right? Like, you you know, you put your money in a bank, you expect that, uh, <laughs> you know, that it, that it's going to be there and, you know, they're not going to give it to, you know, a, a, an attacker, right? Um, whereas when, you know, when you put your money in a smart contract system, I, I think what you are, you know, th- kind of the deal you're agreeing to is whatever that code says, you are okay with. Code um, is in Oregon. Yeah and uh, that's my opinion that's you know some might say that's an extreme opinion of smart contracts but uh it is what it is
1: and Laura Shin's recent book uh from that she she believes she identified who it was
0: oh right yeah um
1: i think it was one of the co-founders of 10x was it oh yeah <laughs> 10x i remember 10x yeah it was like a credit like a debit card Yeah. I'll try and find um, who. Twenty
0: seventeen ICO. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Was TenX? Was did that, that, that? Did that become something else? I think. It, I think it died because it lost its partnership with Visa or whoever it was. That, that. was it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, a really interesting time. Uh, I, I don't know why Ethereum Classic survived for so long. It didn't seem to have anything happening on it.
0: Yeah. Then yeah, development was kind of stagnant there. I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about twenty seventeen. That's where I did become a. Bitcoin as such. I January and February 2017, I started buying Bitcoin. I was buying Ether as well. I was aggressively buying Ether about nine dollars. I did did well out of ah, that. No. So
0: early 2017. Uh, yeah, yeah,
1: right. Like well, I, so I it was actually I bought my first Bitcoin. I think it was in because of my this is when my mum was sick. Cause I bought the the Bitcoin at the end of December. Um uh, Silk Road wasn't available, I, so I had to mm. use another website to get some cannabis oil to treat her, and she does, she died on January the 12th. So uh, I went back into Coinbase, uh, Coinbase to sell the remaining Bitcoins and then saw this e thing and looked looked it up, and I said actually I'm going to get back into this, and I started reading about blockchains, and I I was sold on this idea that this was like uh, the dot com bubble again, but for blockchains, yeah, and uh, I thought I'd buy it, and I literally bought everything. Uh, Dash was one I was really into. Oh, yeah,
0: AKA Darkcoin, which was Xcoin yeah. before that.
1: Yeah. Uh, XRP, I actually bought some of that at this ridiculous low price. Um, <laughs> I bought a, a, I, I, Honestly, at one point, I had a spreadsheet because I had so many shitcoins, but uh, but uh, that's when I got back in and I rode up 2017, an unbelievable year, and I rode down 2018, and that was brutal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2018 was, was just like... Uh, lower highs for like 11 months straight. And then we dumped 50% after that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Down to, yeah. I'm trying to remember, Did, we went, I'm trying to remember because there was a part time we actually came back to like four, uh, 14K. No. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That would have been earlier, ish in the year. Yeah.
1: That was during the conference, the Bitcoin 2019 conference. We had a, like a jump.
0: There. Oh, 2019, You are talking about, now. yeah. I
1: yeah. am just trying to remember that twenty nineteen conference. So we came down, did yeah. You get down to like six, six was it? Three I came down to three,
0: like thirty one. What in two thousand eighteen? In
1: it, it was at six for a long time. That like, that was like the bottom for yeah. ages, and then it dropped down to like three and a bit.
0: Yep. <laughs> so <laughs> and what, then it traded like or, you know in the three ks for four months and came out of that in I think on April first 2019.
1: What happened in March twenty twenty?
0: I mean, that's when it had the COVID. Crash.
1: Yeah. yeah, that went down to like six at that point, didn't it?
0: That was also in the threes. Yeah, so also in the threes. So we had yeah. two hits in the threes. The yeah. Two yeah. Separate so ones. so the, the right the 2019 low or might have been late 2018 was was yeah 31 22 I think and then COVID low was what about 30, four. 35 36 I like think about on, four. Yeah, I know it went under. It went under four. I think. But yeah,
1: just maybe just under really? four. Yeah, yeah. Okay. this this is one of those important lessons for anyone listening who panics. And by the way, this isn't financial advice. Do what the fuck you want. But I remember when in that first bit in two thousand and I think it's uh, eighteen when it it kept getting lower and yeah. lower and lower, and then it got to about I think about eight, and I panicked and sold. Was it or oh, about six? I panicked and sold some because I was yeah. it was you know essentially I just kind of sold the bottom and ended up rebuying. A little bit higher, right? Because I was like, "Well, if it goes to one, like I've I've got fucking nothing left." Yeah. Whereas I should have just like gritted my teeth.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, it's hard to do, right? It's like, very hard. Yeah. If you, uh, you yeah, I I think you know the people who uh, just from a financial standpoint do the best are the ones you know probably who you know can figure out when we're kind of going pretty parabolic. And you know, sell a little bit into these like you know big parabolas, uh, and then and then rebuy at the lows. But like you know, like you were saying earlier, <laughs> picking the highs and lows is uh, is an impossible game. So like I, I think I think uh, the best advice for people is like know what you own and why you own it, and you know if you've really done your research and you, uh, yeah, uh, you're you know you're not going to be you know pushed around that much by price, right? Like you're. You know, if, if you uh, understand Bitcoin deeply and you have some, you know, reasonable market cap target for what it could be, and you understand why, and you understand those fundamentals, and that uh, you know, price going from six k to three k or from sixty k to thirty k, like doesn't change the fundamentals. Um, yeah, you have a lot more conviction to to either hold or or uh, you know or buy the lows too, if if you want to do that. But
1: well, I remember in two thousand seventeen, I was in a pub in Donegal with my dad. And I'd been aggressively buying Bitcoin at the start of the year. And remember when we went from one up to two thousand? And I was like, "Holy shit! That look—it's like two thousand dollars!" And I was blown away by yeah. hitting that price. I had no idea it was going to go to twenty thousand. I had no idea. It just blew my mind. And that period from about it's from about four to twenty was, it a, or six to twenty was a very it was short, fast. Yeah. It's fast. It's like, yeah, weeks. And I think a. There were a lot of people who thought something similar was going to happen here. We were going to suddenly right. go from like 60 to like 150 and it never happened.
0: Right. The blow off top idea. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We just didn't have it.
0: Right. I, and, you know, uh, if I had to, you know, pin an explanation for that, it, it, I would guess it's uh, probably that institutions are involved now. So, you know, so, so if you're, you know, one of these, uh, you know, one of these funds that, you know, buys a bunch of Bitcoin in late 2020, right? Like, so you know, in the high teens, something like that. Um, so, you know, when Bitcoin's at, you know, 60K, you know, you're sitting on a three or four X in, you know, a few months, right? So like most- uh, You've crushed it. Most institutional money managers are at least gonna rebalance that. Uh, so that, you know, creates a bunch of sell pressure, um, you know, when, when we get to those highs that uh, in prior bull markets, you know, with, with the markets being mostly retail driven, or or if not, or, or people, you know, trading for their own account, it's like, you know, there's there's much less pressure to like, you know, take some off the table and take that more kind of like disciplined approach, like people just, you know, <laughs> just get, you know, excited. And uh, uh, and yeah, uh, we'll, we'll hold it a lot longer versus I, I, I think, you know, institutional money managers. I think that the flip side of that is I, I think uh, is also true that uh, you know institutional people maybe they're not going to you know panic as much as, as as retail will and you know are used to coming in and uh, you know buying when there's blood in the streets as they say. Mm. Um, so we'll see.
1: So, I, I also think it's uh, one of those things that's ultimately good for the health of Bitcoin as much as a Bitcoin. <laughs> and I enjoy when the price goes up, uh, and it's time where I was tweeting every thousand up, and uh, which I won't do again. But um, as much as if bitcoin had hit 250,000 300,000 like economically for me it would be great i'm a lot more interested in the health of bitcoin now yeah and if it turns out this year we don't have another dump below like twenty eight and a half, and a half just imagine we range around here and even for a year and then we grow again when you look at this chart yeah that'd be great yeah it'd be great cuz the vol- <laughs> the is right. dropping totally and if in the next one it's it's even less maybe we just double and come back and rather than a 60% drop we have a 45% drop if if that's if if the kind of money that's coming in and the algos at play and the trading that's at play means the the there's less volatility i think that solves one of our big problems in bitcoin
0: yeah. That, I mean, that's been, you know, a common FUD vector for forever. It's too volatile to be money. It's like, well, okay. I mean, it's also, you know, very young and at a much smaller market cap than uh, than it would need to be to be global money. So, you, know, you should expect it to be volatile, uh, you know, in in the in these growth periods. Uh, but yes, I, I agree that, you know, getting, you know, volatility should long-term, like when you look, like very long-term, like decade to decade, like volatility should be going down. That's what you would want to see for, a, you know, Global story value asset.
1: It becomes a lot more useful uh, as money. It becomes a a lot more easier to tell to tell the story. It becomes a lot less scary for people to get involved. Yeah. I mean, the dream scenario is just like a constant slow uptick. Yeah. Yeah. Like seven I mean, percent like a week. <laughs> <laughs> Mar-
0: yeah. Markets will never never give you that for long. They won't give you that for <laughs> long.
1: But but if we get away from. 10x up, 80% down. Right, yeah, totally. Um, it, it's, like I say, it's fun, but it's, you know, we're getting into the world where Bitcoin is super serious now. Like, we have, we have a country where it's legal tender. We have mm. Tesla with it. We have Square with it. We have institutions with it. We have it discussed on a global scale, we're discussing every government and every parliament in the world. Like, this is a serious asset. If, if, it, if it can become more stable... It serves so many. It serves such a better purpose for so many people.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, so, I, I mean, I think kind of what you're describing there is it's it's really graduated to being a global macro asset in the mm. last two years. And so, I think part of part of what's healthy for Bitcoin is, is its volatility going down over time, uh, but also it responding um, as you might expect a fixed supply kind of global hedge asset to respond uh, to macro events. So it's funny, like, you know, people are complaining now that, you know, Bitcoin's down while we have these high CPI prints, right? So that, you know, they're saying it, using that to say that it hasn't been an inflation hedge. Um, <laughs> but I would argue- I think I know what you're gonna say. That it, it it front ran that yeah. because it responded phenomenally well to the money printing. Like if you look at when Bitcoin launched in 2020, like <laughs> I mean, it was basically the day the Fed announced that they were you know going to do QE forever and inject you know tons of money, tons of liquidity into the system. Um, and yes, other risk assets you know also took off, but Bitcoin took off a lot more and has held a lot more of those gains. Like uh, kind of the poster child for um, uh, for high growth tech, uh, the the Ark ETF, so their flagship ETF, Ark K, uh, has retraced its COVID gains completely. It's done a full round trip, and you know, here's Bitcoin still sitting up 500 from the, from that time. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I I think it did respond very well to how you know a, a rational expectation. Uh, of a fixed supply money might when, you know, the world's biggest central bank, you know, says they're going to, you know, inject unlimited liquidity into the system.
1: Um, and Bitcoiners were predicting these inflation numbers. We had Janet Yellen coming out this week saying, uh, have you seen the video?
0: I don't think I've seen the video yet. She's uh,
1: <laughs> uh, saying, what is it? I, I was wrong. We got yeah. this wrong. No, I, saw, I saw the and tweets on that today. Yeah. I mean, we've seen so much fucking nonsense around inflation, blaming Russia for gas prices and, blaming greedy corporations right. by uh, Liz Ridiculous. Warren. there's was all this bullshit. It was Whereas, big turkey. It was big turkey. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Big turkey. <laughs> Whereas we, I know as a Bitcoiner, I was watching smarter people than me who've been saying for a couple of years now, inflation is coming. You cannot keep printing money. We just had Peter Doyle in earlier, and he said inflation will usually match the increase in monetary expansion think increase over in time, time. Yeah. but yeah, over yeah. time it will catch up with this. So we've had thirty-six percent increase. He would expect a thirty-six percent, yeah, uh, over a certain period of time, and there's a lag for it all. Yeah, but eventually you'll see a thirty-six percent inflation. Um, Bitcoins were talking about this back when you yeah, know well, yeah, Bitcoin was like at 12,000, and buying it because of that. Yeah, and they were the ones telling everyone else, and no one did. And, then the price started to, to move. And for me, it has been an inflation hedge because I front run it the rest of us.
0: Yeah, it, exactly. It, it, it comes out. So, I mean, it's this distinction between like money printing and inflation, right? They, they often go hand in hand, like money printing is going to eventually lead to inflation. But like, it's like people can't get their head around the fact that we have these CPI prints now. And you know, Bitcoin isn't performing right now. Well, like it did all the performance in the in the prior two years, yeah, uh, because it got ahead of the the money printing uh, when when that side of things happened. And and now that the Fed has turned around, um, and is you know uh, withdrawing liquidity, like it it makes sense for Bitcoin to be you know far less performant in that environment uh, because Bitcoin is a counter to uh, to fiat money debasement. So you know if we're going through a period where you know remarkably <laughs> central banks aren't debasing their currency i you know i wouldn't expect bitcoin to to go nuts during that phase but i do expect central banks to continue to debase long term you know the fed'll have to pivot at some point um you know just with you know, with debt to gdp where it is globally uh, there's there's no way to not you know print a lot more money over the next you know 10 20 years so uh as far as you know bitcoin's health like so you know i would like to see it perform you know uh perform very well again when the fed pivots or or when they you know you know so, so they'll you know they probably won't like you know do a 180 pivot but they they'll slow down and blah 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 and then you know when qe starts up again uh that's when i'd, I'd like to see bitcoin perform
1: again uh, everyone loves to hear a prediction but they doesn't nobody likes to make one do you think we bottomed out do you think we're ranging for the next piece
0: yeah, I mean, you know, I again not a trader, um, <laughs> so uh, if I, you know, I, I tend to think in scenarios. So like I, you know, I I guess if I had to peg it, I'd say like a fifty fifty chance that you know we kind of range here for a while and uh, or uh, go down into the low twenties for a while potentially.
1: But you don't see an up scenario from here.
0: Um, probably not quickly unless you know some unless the fed breaks something <laughs> and has to pivot quickly i mean like they they which they did in uh in late 2019 like they uh uh the the repo market blew up i don't know if you remember that yeah, and they okay. had they had to reverse cuz they had you know they had sold off like 15% of the balance sheet from you know the qe that they had done in response to the you know 2008 financial crisis um <laughs> they only drew it down 15% before they uh before they you know broke market mechanics and had to reverse course um, and yeah, you know, people you know people think it was covid that uh, caused them to reverse course and of course they had to do massive uh, stimulus because of that but they had actually reversed before that because of uh, you know because <laughs> whatever the liquidity dynamics in the treasury market are
1: one thing I'm going to be interested to see Dan is in uh, two years time whether the halving is just a narrative or a real thing my gut instinct is Largely, it's a narrative
0: yeah well it gets it's also um, you know its effect is you know 50 percent less every time yeah um, just in terms of like the raw market mechanics so like whether or not people front run it um, you know the actual market impact should be half as much every
1: time but I think it's even less now because uh, having spoken to miners or people who are running ma- large mining operations a lot of them are saying we don't we don't sell our Bitcoin because we leverage it, we leverage it to build our infrastructure. Yeah. I'm not sure; like it's entirely true, but I don't believe the, yeah, you know, uh, 900 a day that are being mined are being sold straight into the market. Yeah, no, know.
0: I agree. I think I think my, yeah, miners miners are often bulls.
1: Yeah, like, and, yeah. So, the majority of the sell pressure in the market, I don't believe, is coming from miners. Um, I can see scenarios where exchanges, I have uh, created a sell pressure because they need to sell to be able to fund their business and pay their staff because they're not all paying them in Bitcoin. I don't know if the halving is just narrative. I think it is, but I wonder if it <laughs> still plays in because people yeah, will it, talk about it. it.
0: Yeah, it might. And it, it might matter. Who knows? I mean, the kind of the way I like to describe it is like if there's a, if there's a demand surge, like if that surge happens, you know, in an environment. You know before a having it's going to have a lot less impact than if it have, happens right after right it's like because uh you know there is just less supply being dripped into the market so like yes people front run it but also demand you know an unexpected demand surge will have more impact you know in the post having world versus the pre so you know yeah <laughs> you can uh you can argue that there's structural effect there even even, even though yes people do front run it like you know the there is some efficiency to the market there.
1: What does Bitcoin mean for you now? do do you feel like you've done I kind of think of Bitcoin in your tour of duty, right? Yeah. (laughs) Every four years is like a tour of duty and I'm in my second tour of duty and I'm looking to the future thinking I'm not gonna do four or five of these. I'm not gonna spend twenty years right in the coal face. Uh, I have a feeling I'll always be around it and considering and liking it. But there, there comes a time where there'll come a time when I'm not doing a Bitcoin podcast. I might not be doing any podcasts, but there there will come a time, and I don't know if that's in four years or eight years. I I just don't know. But I think for, you you see people come and go, and you see the baton get handed over, and every cycle there's new people who come in, and whether it's new podcasters doing podcasters, or new writers writing new ideas, and people with new kind of projects and businesses. But you do seem to see waves of people leave as well as come. Sure. What does it mean for you in terms of that? Like, what is Bitcoin for you now? Because you know you've you've done over a decade. You've done three tours (laughs) of duty. A
0: few tours of duty there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, I I, in 2020 I created Case Bitcoin to uh, because I because I. Did feel like people needed to better understand the case for Bitcoin. They needed, you know, all those resources in one place, you know, explained in a, in a way that made sense to at the time, like the institutional money managers who who were, you know, was a big target audience, you know, people who were coming into the space. Um, but yeah, like, I feel like <laughs> in the last like two years, like people get it. Uh, you know, there's like market timing and cycles and, you know, the Fed and all that. But like, pe- broadly, people do understand the overall uh, value prop, I think. Um, so yeah, like, where does that leave me as, you know, somebody who, you know, you know, as you know, I consider myself to some degree an educator on Bitcoin over the years. Um, I think I'll always be doing this to an extent. <laughs> you know, I don't know if I'll, uh, if I'll be launching any Bitcoin projects, uh, but I don't know. It's, um, you know, it's tied, uh, with my worldview. It's, uh, know, tied with, uh, you know, with what I want to see happen in the world. Um, so when people, you know, come out with, uh, you know, dumb ESG FUD or, you know, whatever whatever it is um, on any given day, um, I probably won't be able to resist uh, <laughs> getting into the arguments.
1: What's the FUD that frustrates you most?
0: Um, well, right now it's probably the ESG thing. Okay. Um, It's been different things over the years, but yeah, that's, uh, it's just because it's like, it's such a on absolute numbers. It's such a small percentage of anything else people might care about. I, I think um, this guy Daniel on Twitter. I don't know his last name. Uh, I think his handle is cse wildcat. Um, so Daniel's been vocal on this and and coming up with like stats that really kind of contextualize things. So um, I think one that uh, he he likes to point out is that like clothes dryers globally use 15 times more energy than Bitcoin. Then um, another one he did the math on recently, think was that wasted food, is, you know, results in something like 60x more um, uh, emissions than than Bitcoin produces. So like, <laughs> so and then he contextualizes that further by saying, I think that if you if you reduce food waste by 1.7%, that's, that has the same emissions impact as all of Bitcoin. <laughs> so like, when people, it's clearly just a, like, Ridiculous, politically motivated thing when people come after Bitcoin for the ESG stuff.
1: I think it's two things, actually. I I agree it's politically motivated. I also think it is uh, uninformed as well. (laughs)
0: Yeah, ignorance. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, and and I think
1: if you're, you know, as somebody who cares about the environment but is mildly hypocritical in his own uh, use of energy and, you know, waste that I arguably create flying around the world and stuff, I've tried to educate myself a lot more about it and uh, and the more you learn the, the more you realize this is a much more complex problem than I think a lot of environmentalists environmental scientists want to make out yep. um, and and that's been a a real process for me of like it's a humbling experience of holding a position and being vocal about it and then having to kind of like you know take a step back like, and I've had to do it on many issues um but i I know when i Get into discussion, say on Twitter or in public, or meet people, and then, and when they first want to criticize Bitcoin, I mean, it's the same shit. It's like terrorists and drug dealers, yeah. and you know, it's terrible for the environment. And I think what it is is the mainstream media has done such a terrible job of writing about Bitcoin. Like, yeah. <laughs> whether it's The Economist, which is The Economist and The FT, I would expect better from, but they've both been terrible. Yeah. Uh, and, and because of that, people see a headline, and they repeat a headline. Yep. You know? um, and so I think that's done, done a really, really poor job for us. And there's been people out there who've had an opportunity to do a better job, who are kind of Bitcoin-aware people who kind of work in some areas of mainstream and they haven't helped. And then you've got shit coins attacking as well. Oh, yeah. So well, I, I, that, I think-
0: That's going to gonna get worse when ETH, yeah. go, when ETH goes to proof of stake, that's going to get much worse.
1: That's, <laughs> yeah, that, I'm, that, that is one of the things I'm really worried about, because yeah. I know what those motherfuckers are going to do. Yeah. But we saw it with that <laughs> fucking dickhead from Ripple recently. Oh, yeah. Who, like, uh, changed uh, the Chris color Larson. To, yeah. Like, fuck yeah. off, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, I think it is politically motivated but I do also think there's a lot of uninformed people.
0: I I agree. So on the, I mean, I I think, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the media headlines are politically motivated, right? They associate Bitcoin with like, you know, political ideology they don't like. And so then they're just going to attack it on any grounds they can find. And the ESG thing is something that, you know, resonates with a lot of people. So they're going to, you know, ignore any semblance of, you know, correctness or nuance and just like, you know, hammer Bitcoin on that point. I think that's what the media and, you know, a lot of people, you know, like Chris Larson are doing. Um, and, and then, yeah, and then you, ha- and it is a very nuanced, complex issue. Uh, so, so then, you know, it's hard for, you know, people who are just like, you know, <laughs> doing their nine to five and trying to get their, you know, kids to eat dinner and go to bed to like, understand, like dive in and really understand the issue. Um, so, yeah, I think we just have to, uh, you know, keep putting out, keep putting out the uh, the real numbers and, and making our points, and uh, you know, 10 years from now, maybe maybe it won't be such a thing.
1: Yeah, and cre- I also think we need to create some alliances. Uh, I think sometimes there's, there's people out there being critical, and uh, they, they could be from the mainstream, or they could be from a scientific background, and maybe they're parroting themselves. Uh, and, and you can go on the tweet, and when you go into a tweet, you see the people you follow first. Yeah, And they're dogpiling in. Yeah, And so there's like this aggressive kind of like memeing and whatever. But I also, one of the things I've really appreciated about someone like Michael Saylor, which I think he is actually the best at this. He'd never criticize. He never dogpiles. He will always reply with a considered and educated response to that person.
0: Yeah, reply with data. Yeah, yeah reply with data yeah.
1: and, and, and civility.
0: Yeah, Agreed.
1: And he's certainly orange peeled some important people. In in some ways, he's become one of the best at doing this. Um, he's cons- I mean he's incentivized to do it, of course. But he but he's he's doing it in a really good way. And you know, I admire him for that. And I think sometimes we some of us, and I'm a complete hypocrite, could probably probably do a better job at saying, Hey, come on, let's sit down and talk about this. So for example, I did the Alex Epstein interview. Uh he wrote uh, Fossil Futures. Hmm. Now, I don't agree with him on everything, but I got a lot from it. Now I'm going to do the other side. I'm going to do Andrew Desler, who is a climate scientist who debated Alex Epstein. And I, I don't want to interview him just to get his alternative opinion to Alex Epstein. I kind of want to orange pill him. <laughs> I, want him I want him to be aware of the, the benefits of Bitcoin and things Bitcoin can do, because having a known vocal environmentalist say hey, by the way, this Bitcoin thing doesn't use much energy compared to other things, but also offers this whole other area of helping the environment, the the flaring side of things, which...
0: Yeah, the flaring thing, there's more more flare capacity in the US alone to power all of Bitcoin, and that reduces emissions versus if Bitcoin didn't
1: exist. Exactly. (laughs) So, (laughs) So, like, like... we can build up this really solid case. Like, it's it's ironic, really. The, The ESG people are attacking Bitcoin, and we can actually... We can 180 and turn it on its head and weaponize it against their narrative.
0: Uh, yeah, well, yeah. So like Nick Carter has done, you know, a lot of very you know, consistent work, work getting getting uh, getting the right information out there. So yeah, I mean, I I agree. If, if we if there was like a consistent message with like you know data points that are easy to easy to say and back up, uh, that you know that could go a long way with people.
1: Yeah. And is your conviction the same? Has your conviction grown? And, and also, actually, has it ever waned? So I, I, it hasn't changed
0: substantially. Um, the only reason I hesitate is because, you know, I in, in the early part of the fork wars, I was a big blocker. So I was concerned that, uh, you know, that Bitcoin was going down a, a path that would basically open up the ground for altcoins to take away what I felt could be, you know, Bitcoin's use case with, you know, with uh, you know, as, as money. So, you know, my, my view is kind of, yeah there are, there are a bunch of different aspects to money and like yes store value first makes sense but you know i think you also need you know some direct connection to the economy right mm-hmm. like some ability for it to actually make sense <laughs> and to, to use it as money um that doesn't have to be the majority or anything you know it doesn't have to be ubiquitous for coffee and you know all of those cliches but um but something uh so you know i was i was you know, worried that you know Bitcoin was going down this this path where it was you know gonna completely ignore you know payments and, and whatnot. And Lightning was, you know, people talked about Lightning in you know, 2015, I think it was created then and, and talked about it a bit in 2016, but it seemed so far off that I was concerned, you know, other assets would uh, you know would gain a lot of ground that I thought should have been Bitcoins. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, despite being a big blocker, yeah, I never supported you know Bcash or God forbid, BSV or <laughs> any, anything like that. I mean, um,
1: for anyone to deny there were logical arguments for bigger blocks, uh, uh, I find amazing. Uh, I think there are logical arguments for both sides. It's completely rational to think about it. In hindsight, is obviously in hindsight it's different
0: because, like, in hindsight, it's like okay, the narrative that Bitcoin is is immutable, no matter what. It like that. Yes, that that makes more. That that is extremely valuable for Bitcoin to have that uh, aura of, you know, just kind of, you know, it's just not going to change no matter you know, what you throw at it. Uh, that that's that's hugely beneficial. And I'm in retrospect, very glad that happened. I, you know, at the time, I would have argued like, OK, we, you know, we should be able to change a technical detail while while it's still being well understood that, you know, the monetary policy was untouchable. But like, OK, now we're adding nuance and you know, that's hard for people to understand. so.
1: Right, I'm going to finish with one question. What, what it, what are you looking forward to most with Bitcoin? By the way, I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> I, I you know, it's it's very rare you get to talk to somebody who was around in 2011 because there wasn't that many people, and you get a different level of conversation. You, you get you, you. It's almost like you get the wisdom of a of a 10, 12 years in Bitcoin. You know, <laughs> I, I love it. But but I also just super interested in what kind of like your hopes for the future and what you're interested
0: in. Yeah, I, I mean, I you know I. Uh... I hope uh, lightning continues to have more success uh, I think it will uh, I hope we see you know more more adoption you know on on the level of you know El, El Salvador and similar um, I hope you know mining continues to become kind of a, a key part of energy infrastructure globally because you know, it does solve a lot of problems there um, and I hope uh, yeah Bitcoin just you know becomes a global macro asset that you know serves as an escape valve on on uh, Know, bad central bank monetary policy, and I think we're we're well on the way to all of that.
1: Man, listen, this is amazing. It's fascinating to talk to you. Um, where do you want to send me? Was it casebitcoin?
0: Sure. So yeah, CaseBitcoin.com. I, I mean, I don't really have anything to show. It's kind of just like a community <laughs> resource, uh, and it's in in desperate need of of some updating. Uh, but but yeah, still still a great resource, I think.
1: All right, Dan, look, appreciate you, man. Appreciate you coming on and. Uh, Yeah, I hope we get to do this again soon. Yeah, sounds good. Take care, man. Thanks for having me. Okay, thanks for listening to What Bitcoin Did. If you want to get in touch, then please head over to the What Bitcoin Did Telegram channel. And if you want to support the show, all we ask is you head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review.